Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a typical sneakerhead just working here for the store discount. Here is the captain. Yeah, get you some. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week, we are very excited to be featuring Muni Lot. That's right, Cleveland, you heard me correctly. Browns got a big game this weekend, and the Muni Lot will be bumping City of Cleveland. This is a fan-inspired lager from a new and brilliant brewing company called Unplugged Brewing out of Elyria, Ohio. I've sampled a lot of their beers, and I'm telling you all, expect big things from this new brewer. Unplugged Brewing Company. Garage grade for Muni Lot Lager. Four out of five bottle caps. And here's some peeps I'd love to party with in the Muni lot. First up, a big cheers to Michael in Cleveland, United Kingdom. And a big cheers to Amanda in Knoxville, Tennessee. Next up, we have a big cheers to Laney in Wyandotte, Michigan. A big shout out to Mule in Birmingham, England. Here's a big, huge cheers with a Ron Swanson please and thank you to new friend of the show, Sally P. in Chillicothe, Ohio. Everyone we just mentioned, Captain, well, they went to TrueCrimeGarage.com and clicked on the donate button and helped us out with this week's beer fund. And for that, we thank you. Yeah, B-W-E-R-R-U-N, Beer Run. If you're a brewing company and you would like for us to taste your fancy schmancy beers, send them to us. And that is enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. This week's true crime story involves one of the more terrifying murder scenes that we have covered. The female victim makes a distress call from a remote, isolated, wooded area where she is alone. Her husband is on the other end. When the call is abruptly cut off, 
The husband knows something terrible has happened. He rushes to find her, but it is too late. By the time he gets to her, she is in her death throes. And the scene was bloody and chaotic. Someone had it in for this woman. This was not a random crime, but who knew where she would be that day in the Wisconsin woods? And who would target this middle-aged wife and mother? She was an upstanding public servant with no known enemies. This is True Crime Garage, and this is the case of Kathy Namath. It was October 12, 2002 in rural Langlade County, Wisconsin. We have 43-year-old Kathy Namath who lived in Elcho, a tiny idyllic town of about 1,200 or so residents in the northern part of Wisconsin. This is a Saturday. Now on this Saturday evening around 7 p.m., Kathy got into her car and drove to Loon Lake which is located about 25 miles north of Antigua, the county seat. And it's about a 13-minute drive from downtown Elcho. Loon Lake is in a very remote and unsettled area that is mostly used by hunters, campers, and summer cabin dwellers. That's where Kathy was headed. She is going there because her parents have a cabin on the lake. But she's not going there to meet her parents because Kathy's parents had left the area for Florida earlier that day. They intended to stay in Florida for several months, of course, to avoid the upcoming Wisconsin winter. They had closed up their cabin for the season. So around 7 p.m., Kathy decided to head out to the lake house to clear out her parents' freezer, which had a big supply of frozen meat inside. Now, unfortunately, something terrible happened when she went up to her parents' cabin. She was murdered up there. And because she went there alone, we are not left with a whole lot of definitive information about how it all went down. But we can take an old look-and-see approach here, Captain. So this whole scene seems to me to be like right out of Friday the 13th or some other horror movie featuring an isolated wooded cabin in the forest. The rustic cabin was located on Loon Lake Lane which winds its way through the dense woods around the lake, turning into a dirt road. Houses there, from my understanding, appear to be very far or somewhat far apart and separated by large, thickly wooded areas. So no neighbors are right next door to one another. It was a rainy evening, and Kathy drove up to the lake house by herself and parked her car outside of the cabin. It was after 7 p.m., so in October, you know, anybody can check their phone that lives in the Midwest, it would be dark or nearly dark at this time. Looking at my phone right now, Captain, it's October 12th, 19 years later, and we're set for a sunset at 6.58 p.m. Right. So it would be dark or nearly dark by the time she arrives. According to later reports, Kathy did not make it inside the cabin. The next thing that we know that happened was a radio transmission from her handheld EMT radio. Okay, so she goes and makes this trip by herself. We know she arrives at the cabin. She parks outside. For whatever reason, 
We have investigators later telling us that we do not believe that she ever made it into the cabin. And before she can get into the cabin, she's going to use her EMT radio to make a call. Now, Kathy was a well-respected senior EMT in Elcho and was also employed on the ambulance squad in town as well as the fire department. She's quite busy with these two different jobs. Now, because of her position, she had a radio at her disposal, and it sounds to me like she's carrying this thing most places, if not everywhere, that she goes. On this day, she's going to use it to call for help for herself, or we can surmise that, right? Here is the very brief transmission that went out from Kathy's radio, and it says, this is 96, so that's her radio ID number. There's a man with a raincoat, and he's scruffy looking, and dot, dot, dot. The transmission abruptly cut off. So one more time, Captain, that is, this is 96. There's a man with a raincoat, and he's scruffy looking, and the transmission cuts off. All right, a couple of things just to get one out of the way. Hello, Wisconsin. If you look up Loon Lake in Wisconsin, it seems like there's multiple Loon Lakes. We're talking about the one that is 44 acres, and it has a maximum depth of 13 feet. According to articles about the case, Kathy's abbreviated radio transmission went out to multiple authorities. This is one of those instances that someone radios to a specific channel that is monitored by others in the same department or division. So her transmission was apparently heard by several people. Now, one of these people, Captain, will be Kathy's husband, David Namath. David Namath was the fire chief in Elcho. So, of course, he had his radio on him as well, and he heard his wife's message of seeing a scruffy man, and then it cuts off. And then several articles we found said that the transmission ended when the signal was lost. So it's totally unclear to me whether this means that Kathy was attacked at that moment or something caused her to drop her radio right or whether for some reason the signal failed halfway through whatever she was trying to communicate to everyone else and the transmission dropped either way this spells disaster for kathy remember she's alone out in this area now there may be other people at some of these cabins but if any of them are following her parents' lead, they're packing up and leaving for the winter at some point and may have already done so. Regardless of who else is up there who owns these cabins, th there's a good deal of distance from cabin to cabin. Right. And so, again, she might as well be all by herself. According to Sheriff Steger, Kathy's tone of voice showed she was in danger. David tried to radio back to his wife asking what was going on, and there's no response on Kathy's end. David, accompanied by his son and Kathy's son, Nick, they jumped in the vehicle and drove to this cabin. One of the things I think law enforcement is going to have to deal with in this case is that some of these cabins probably are rental cabins, or there's probably campgrounds close by where somebody could just camp out for the night. When they arrive on the scene, they see Kathy lying on the ground, and there's blood all over her. 
She had been stabbed multiple times, but she was still alive when they get there. Now, David radioed for assistance, telling the dispatcher that Kathy had at least five stab wounds that he could see, including one to her neck, saying that she is breathing semi-conscious, he told the dispatcher. He said that he needed an ambulance right away. Now, it's hard to imagine David and his son's anxiety and panic as they awaited the ambulance, which had to come from, at minimum, 13 minutes away if it was stationed in the closest town of Elcho. WSAW News 7 reported some important information on the case. The station reported that David, along with their son Nick, found Kathy barely alive just moments after the attack. David said he asked Kathy who the attacker was, and she said she did not know him. Shortly after this, she died. The article went on to say, while calling for help, Kathy described her attacker as being average height with a bushy beard wearing a raincoat. We know this isn't entirely accurate as Kathy's radio transmission did not contain all of that information. But perhaps the part about the average height and the beard were descriptors that she was able to give to her husband. It's a little unclear where this information and how this information came from Kathy to whomever, right? Right. After she's attacked. But several years later, we have WSAW that reported that Kathy was never asked about who had harmed her as she was near death when she was found. So we really don't know what's true here from this statement. We have the same news agency reporting two different things at different times in regards to the same situation. Right. It seems like the only info we can really rely on as factual is what was in her original transmission, or at least that's what I'm choosing to look at is what is factual in this case, right? With the transmission, the radio transmission, we have multiple ear witnesses. Correct. And again, that the guy, whoever this guy was, was scruffy and wearing a raincoat. So the average height thing, again, was that something she told to her husband and he later relays it to others? What it sounds like from this additional report, the later report from WSAW, is that doesn't it kind of imply that she does not tell that to the ambulance personnel or to EMT? Well, like you said, when the husband comes upon her, if that part of the story is true, hey, who did this? I don't know. But then the description happens and then everybody else gets there. And, and then at some point she wouldn't be talking able, at that point. Yeah, right. Able to communicate anything about the attack or her attacker at that time. And I think that that's what we have to go with here, Captain, because what we do know is that once the ambulance arrived, the EMT that was the, the first responder on the scene tells the dispatcher at that time that the victim was still conscious, but barely. So again, I think you're spot on there with if she told anybody anything, it would have been her husband who we know arrived at least 13 minutes before an ambulance could be on the scene. Kathy made it to Marsh Field Hospital after being airlifted to the hospital, but died soon thereafter. The Lang Laid Sheriff's Office, led by Sheriff Dave Steger, along with the Antigua Police, 
began a joint homicide investigation. So obviously with the stab wounds and the radio transmission, we know from Jump Street this is absolutely a homicide, and we have two agencies looking into this case and investigating what went down there near the cabin at Loon Lake. Can we just take a second again to go over that description? I know the description is in question whether she told that to her husband or not, but can you just go over that real quick one more time? Okay, so the radio transmission was, this is 96, there's a man with a raincoat, and he's scruffy looking, and, and then it cuts off. And then what that first news article states is that David says he asked Kathy who the attacker was, and she said she did not know him. Right. Shortly after she died, the article went on to say, while calling for help, Kathy described her attacker as being average height with a bushy beard wearing a raincoat. Again, I I hate to keep kind of spinning our tires on this thing here, but the way that the wording is in the, the report just does not seem to be anything of accuracy at all because it states while calling for help this is what she said when we when we know in fact the radio transmission heard by multiple ear witnesses none of them say that she said he's of average height right and it seems like something bizarre to say in that situation right if you're radioing to begin with that you're you're afraid or something wrong is happening does anybody go out of their way to say he's of average height yeah i think it's vernacular that she would use in her job so that's why it's believable to me that she said it to somebody but also with eyewitnesses or ear witnesses people get things wrong so maybe three people heard it different and one of the three people or whoever heard her initial uh, communication maybe one person heard that she actually said average height. I could see that too. I mean, we have training that goes into these jobs, these very important jobs, and these are people that are thrown into situations that can be stressful, chaotic. Maybe she just, the training kicked in, as you said, and just goes right into uh, terminology and things that she would describe the best that she can given the situation. Right. Now, a little bit about Kathy Namath before we move too far into this investigation. Kathy was really a normal, hardworking woman. She was 43 years old at the time of her murder. She was a wife and a mother. She lived with her husband and son, Nick, in Elcho, and was very involved with her job as a medical worker and EMT. After her death, her co-worker Jerry Dobbs told WSAW7 News Quote, she loved her family. She loved her children and her husband. She was one of the most caring people I knew, end quote. Her husband, David, told the station that her parents' cabin was her favorite place on earth. It was unthinkable that that was where she had been attacked and brutally slain. Says that we just couldn't believe it. Disbelief. There were several people that were on the scene that day that had to go through a stress debriefing afterward because of the trauma and seeing what they experienced. Now, on to the investigation, and we have a quick statement from the Langlade County District Attorney who said, 
This is early on in the investigation, Captain, says we're not ruling anything out at this point. I don't know that there's anything that suggests that the public has to be terrified of a random attack. But at the same time, it's certainly a good idea to be on the alert. This ambiguous statement wasn't particularly helpful as members of the public were frightened. And of course they should be, right? Kathy Namath was attacked and murdered in an isolated but commonly visited and very safe recreational spot. And no one seemed to have any idea by whom or even why she was killed. Concerns about a deranged murderer lurking in the woods, this is on people's minds. And they're terrified. Right. If you haven't already packed up your cabin and left for the winter, now's a great time to get out of Dodge. Well, a lot of these lake communities, there's not even much crime at all, let alone a murder taking place. Correct. And the weird radio transmission, there's a man here, he's scruffy looking, wearing a raincoat. Now, Kathy was tough, and she did not go down without a fight. We couldn't get a copy of the autopsy report, but Sheriff Steger himself is on record commenting in regards to defensive wounds on her body, saying it looked like the victim put up a fight. There could be some scratches and bruises on the perpetrator. This is what he told the media. According to reports, the autopsy concluded that no surprise, Kathy had died from multiple stab wounds, but it got even stranger. And this next portion of the story was not reported until well after the homicide, which is bizarro to me. But according to WSAW 7 News, evidence at the scene shows Kathy was chased through the property and she used whatever she could to fight off her killer. But in the end, multiple stab wounds were fatal. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership 
when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need to pack a lunch and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Hello, Wisconsin. Cheers, everybody. Cheers to you, Captain. Cheers to all the people in the back. And the people in the back will be 
they will want to hear about this. So I guess there is a Amy Mahalovic walk that is coming up Wednesday, October 27th. And that will be on the unfortunate anniversary of the day that she was abducted. From my understanding, Captain, this starts at 5 p.m. at the Bay Village Middle School. Now, we know that she went from the middle school down to the shopping plaza and left with her eventual killer from that shopping plaza. The walk will be a short one. It will be from the middle school and then to the plaza and then back where they will be placing a newly engraved stone at a memorial site. So if anyone in the Bay Village area or surrounding areas, please go out, show your support for the Mahalovic family, for Amy, and for the community in general, and join the walk for Amy. If you want to double check on any of the details that I just tried to pass along here or want more information, you can find that at walkforamy.org. So what actually happened at the cabin? It looks like police really are not quite sure what happened at the cabin that day. They stated that all motives were on the table, but they seem to have at least partially ruled out a burglary as investigators did not believe that the cabin was burglarized. It appears that Kathy never even made it as far as getting into the cabin itself. So to me, Captain, when I see that information, it makes me wonder if you're saying, hey, we don't think that burglary was the motive here, and we don't think that Kathy made it into the cabin, there must be something indicating that neither the killer or Kathy made it into the cabin. And this could be, was it was the cabin still locked? Was it found locked? Or was nothing disturbed or broken or out of place? Uh, it could be any of these factors, but what is also unclear is why authorities drew the conclusion that they overtly stated they did not believe that the attack was random, that Kathy was a target. Again, bits of information coming out statements from the police, but no real evidence or nothing to tell us how they came to these conclusions and nothing backing up those conclusions themselves. Now, one article we were able to dig up contains some facts that might explain why investigators believe that Kathy was specifically singled out for this violent, murderous attack. Keep in mind, we're talking about multiple stab wounds here, people. This is an up-close and personal attack on Kathy Namath. Here's a piece from WSAW News 7 that ran October 15th. 2002. So just three days after the homicide, it says investigators say a killer waited in the cold and the dark outside an empty cabin to murder Kathy Namath. Namath was attacked and stabbed outside her parents' empty cabin around 7 PM on that Saturday. The cabin was closed for the season and Namath wasn't expected. That line has always confused me. I've returned to that line from this news article many times and cannot figure out exactly what that is supposed to mean. I'll repeat that line and continue on. It says the cabin was closed for the season and Namath Kathy wasn't expected. Yeah. Hold on a second. So we have, isn't that confusing? We have law enforcement saying that we think she was targeted, but if she wasn't expected to be at the cabin, how would that person target her? Exactly. Unless they were following her there. But at the same time says, 
a killer waited in the cold in the dark outside the empty cabin. Right, meaning that they didn't follow her there, that they were there all along. Do you feel like this is kind of taking like some kind of... It could just be bad reporting, though, right? It could be bad reporting, and it could be like throwing in some creativity. Like Rather than just giving us the facts, that there's some kind of storytelling angle to the story, which... I yeah. know that's what we do here in the garage, but frankly, I hate it when other people do it. <laughs> yeah, no, Let us tell the stories. I appreciate it when people stick to the facts, man. That's right. Okay. So the article goes on to say that leads investigators to believe the killer wasn't someone who followed Namath in from town, but rather someone who knew she was going out to the cabin that night. It's such a contradictory statement, right? Someone that knew she was going out to the cabin that night, but Namath wasn't expected. Again, it could just be bad reporting or bad wording as far as that goes. This all begs the question whether someone had, in fact, drove to the cabin and waited for Kathy's arrival. If so, did the killer park his vehicle somewhere hidden? Had he left tire tracks that police were able to find? Why were they so sure someone was waiting there for her? And who knew that she was heading up to the cabin that evening, right? It doesn't seem to me like you're going to have a whole long list of people that would have known that she was going to the cabin. Now, maybe when they say Kathy Namath wasn't expected means this isn't something that she planned out the day before or a week in advance or anything like that, anything prior. Maybe it was more of, oh, mom and dad called me said they've left the cabin or were leaving the cabin. I don't have anything to do this evening or I have some free time this evening. Tonight would be a convenient time for me to go. But again, it goes back to if you are thinking that she's targeted and you said that statement to the public, I can't believe that that list of people that would have known that she would be going to the cabin would be very long at all. So it could only have been someone she told of her plans again, based off of the police theory, because it does not sound from this report as though someone followed her, rather someone anticipated her arrival. And as we said, it was someone she did not know. That's her words. She did not know her attacker or did not recognize them based off of the excerpt from her radio transmission. If she knew that it was John or Charlie or Bill or Bob, wouldn't she say on the radio, Hey, Bill's up here or Charlie's up here. No, she says there's a man up here wearing a raincoat and he's scruffy looking. But maybe what they mean by all this is that a killer was in the area. 44 acre lake. That's not that big of a lake. Right. And if you look at Loon Lake Lane, the road that the cabin was off of. Right. It's pretty much one way in and one way out, unless you're going to go off-roading. It's one way in and one way out. So even though there's people that are staying there or are packing up for the winter, so again, she's not expected to be there, but this killer is there, maybe looking for a victim. Yeah, and that makes you wonder, if could there have been somebody else that has reason to be there, like another cabin owner, Or somebody that has reason to be there that says, 
You know, at 5 or 5.30, I saw a vehicle that I've never seen in this area before. It was a man driving, and he was kind of scruffy looking. But that's the best the best of the of my recollection of what I have. And we do know, right. one fact we do know is when Kathy approximately arrives at the cabin. So if we have somebody telling police behind closed doors some kind of statement like this, that has not reached our earballs yet, then we can assume that that's what they're building this theory off of, that we have someone who reported a similar-looking individual, as vague as that description is, but arriving in the area well before we know Kathy to have been there. I mean, they're not stating it's a yellow raincoat, but I wonder if it's something that's so blatantly obvious, like you said, a neighbor sees somebody walking around their property and says, well, I I saw a man in a raincoat. The other thing, too, you also have to wonder about if he is waiting there to ambush Kathy when she arrives, how does one individual know which cabin belongs to Kathy's parents? Yeah, good point. There's other cabins to choose from there. I'm imagining that they don't look too drastically different, or at least the plots of land would look too crazy different. I mean, we're talking about woods here. Now, this is where we're going to take a a sharp left here. All right. Are you buckled in there, Captain? Uh A few days after the murder, police said they were looking for a man who was believed to have been the last person to see Kathy. This was a guy who had seen Kathy at the Elcho laundromat. Two friends of Kathy's said that they saw her at the laundromat that Saturday afternoon. And they also saw some guy there doing his laundry. They described this guy and his truck to police who were able to track him down. It turned out that he was just a guy who was doing his laundry at the laundromat that Saturday. Apparently he says he does his laundry every Saturday at that same laundromat. And he happened to be there at the same time as Kathy. So it looks like police get this lead from her friends. They are able to track down this guy, even though we don't have his name and must have determined that he didn't have anything to do with her homicide. Probably didn't have anything to do with really Kathy at all, that they just happened to be at the same laundromat on the day that she is later murdered. Well, is it possible that she was doing laundry and was like, oh, this guy's a little strange. Mentioned that to her friends. And then that's how they tracked him down or why they decided to track him down or he may have come forward they say that they're looking for an individual we don't know who he is but we do have the description of his vehicle so we're not talking about an area where there's a ton of people right so they may have been able to just check some driver's licenses some vehicle registrations and get a short list of individuals that owned a truck with that type of description the investigation continued Following the typical protocols, police canvassed the area near the cabin and spoke to residents to see if they had seen anything strange or had anything to report at all. On October 17th, so this is five days after the homicide, Sheriff Steger told the Wausau Herald that we've talked to probably everybody that lives in Elcho by now. So we have eliminated some possible suspects, and we're continuing to do that. They traced Kathy's last movements, which is what led them to the laundromat guy. 
and they dug into Kathy's life, which revealed something intriguing that we will get to in a minute. Now, police hinted around a couple of times about having a few suspects, and you can see that based off of just that last statement that we relayed to you. But it's not really clear whether this is actually true or not, right? That we have a few suspects. We're not naming anybody. We're not saying why these people would be suspects. So it's not clear if that's actually true or just how viable these suspects or likely these suspects would be. But it sounds like they feel confident that they've spoke to everybody and may even have cleared some people at this point in the early stages of their investigation. Well, I know that her husband went up there with their son, Mm -hmm. but where was his whereabouts before that when he actually heard her transmission? Well, and that's very interesting, right? Because if you are, look, we, there's no getting around it. You got to look at the husband. You got to look at the boyfriend in all of these cases. Could it be something as simple as he set her up that this could be some kind of hit that he purposely was putting himself in a different location when this went down. And how many times have we reviewed cases in the other person you look at is who finds the body. So kind of a double whammy here, but whammy again, how we go back to how many people would have known that she would have been here. If, if in fact, this is not a random murder, Mm -hmm. if in fact that there wasn't some maniac, lurking in the woods with a knife and a raincoat. Then how many people would have known that she was going there around 7 PM on that Saturday in early October and, and known that this was a good opportunity to do whatever it was they intended to do. Right. You would also have to know that, that you're not going to have to be to, to come across her parents or other people. And again, how do you discern their cabin from everybody else's? Well, and you said, too, it didn't take long for her husband to get there. So I'm assuming the cabin's not that far from her actual house. My issue with that becomes if there is any infidelity in that relationship. Well, when the grandparents aren't there, you have a pretty easy getaway. You don't have to rent a room at a hotel or go to the person's house. We can just sneak off to the cabin makes me wonder, is that a possibility as well? Well, I was going to save this for later, but because of, of your, your questions and comments, I think it would be, it would be right to introduce and kind of examine this now before we move too far along. Another thing that's kind of unclear here, captain is really the timing of the whole day. Once we involve not just Kathy, of course, but David, her husband, and her son, Nick. So it's unclear to me the timing on the distress call and the husband's arrival because it's been reported multiple times, but it's really all over the shop. It's all over the place. One article says that David and Nick arrived minutes after the attack, which, you know, we've talked about this on this show before. You you use the words minutes or moments or soon after it doesn't really give an exact definitive time of the distance, you know, the, the lapse of time between one act and the other. Mm -hmm. And so it gets a little hazy just using those words in general, but 
we have that one article that says David and Nick arrived minutes after the attack, which makes no sense given how remote this area was. And then several articles say that she radioed at 7.38 p.m. One article says that David arrived at 7.44 p.m. One article says that David arrived 32 minutes after Kathy radioed. So it seems to me that there had to be, there has to be a lag of time between her radio distress call, right? And the time that David arrived. 7.38 seems to be the most reported time of that distress call. She arrives sometime after 7 p.m. at the cabin. She's attacked or is aware that she's in danger enough to make that distress call. And then David and Nick arrived to offer help or to find their mother and wife. Maybe they arrived at 7.38 p.m. And that's where we're getting, we're getting these times from. But it is unclear. I want to make sure that we are clear about how unclear it is on the exact timing of a, the distress call and B husband, David's arrival to find his wife, unfortunately lying there covered in blood in the woods. Yeah. Clear that they're unclear. Now, three months after the murder, the Wausau daily Herald reported that the case had stalled. So we're roughly 90 days in and they're kind of hinting at that. This thing is starting to get chilly, starting to get a little cold. Mm -hmm. This was kind of surprising because as it turns out, there were some, there was some physical evidence from the crime scene. As you recall, Kathy had defensive wounds that led investigators to believe that she had scratched her assailant, put up some kind of fight. Perhaps she even drew blood from the killer. Presumably lab techs would have been able to obtain the perpetrator's DNA from Kathy. And then we find out that they did have the knife. They had the knife that is responsible for her murder. Apparently, a knife was found at the scene. Investigators sent that knife and some unspecified items of clothing and blood samples to a state crime lab for analysis. And at this time, even though we're hearing these rumors that the case is going cold, seems like there's a lot going on under the surface here. They were waiting for results uh, in this case. And this is now January of 2003 that they have this information. They've right. sent it off to the lab and we're waiting for the results. But there was other big news to hit the headlines in regards to Kathy's murder. One of the articles was titled Elcho, a buzz over killing. And of course, they're talking about Kathy's murder. This was because there were reports that investigators were looking into whether Kathy's murder was related to a local political scandal. What happened was Kathy and her husband, David, had been just two of several fire department employees. So I want to be clear about that. There were multiple people involved in this situation, not just Kathy and David. But these were fire department employees who served on the Elcho Fire Department Executive Board. And along with three other employees, the Namaths shared control of a bank account containing funds belonging to the Elcho Fire Department. So just five days, just five days before Kathy was killed, town leaders dissolved the fire department's executive board. And you only do that when they're up to no good, right? 
The board was responsible for appropriations, among other things. So they're in charge of these funds in this bank account. Kathy, David, Assistant Fire Chief Bob Jensen, and two others were essentially removed from a position of authority at the fire department and from having access to the department's bank account. This was as a result of Assistant Fire Chief Bob Jensen bringing to the attention to the town board some months earlier that money was disappearing from the account. So someone was embezzling the fire department's funds and had been for some time. And in connection with all of this, David Namath was suspended as fire chief, suspended with pay on October 7th. Assistant Chief Jensen, the whistleblower, was appointed interim chief, and all the fire department records were seized as the investigation into the embezzlement got underway. Well, if she has connections to the account, is it possible that an individual realized that she might hold the answers somehow, and that would jeopardize this person's career and, and maybe even freedom, and that that would be a reason to get rid of Kathy. Yes, this is going to call all kinds of things into question here in regards to her homicide and this whole embezzlement scandal. Like always, we want to hear your thoughts on the case. So if you have some thoughts and opinions, please share those with us on our blog at truecrimegarage.com. And join us back here tomorrow in the garage. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.